something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode, we return to Annick Castle, the home of the Percy family for over 700 years, and a location that now provides the backdrop to your favourite hit TV shows and movies. And with the help of Daniel, the castle's learning and engagement officer, we're going to sink our teeth into a juicy vampire story. But first, how does the story of forbidden love end with dogs licking up the juices of a dead king? Well, it starts with a man called Lord Henry Percy, the 6th Earl of Northumberland, who was secretly engaged to Anne Boleyn. This is juicy gossip. How did he meet Anne Boleyn? What was the actual sort of the layout of all this? Well, the background, the meet-cute, if you like... Yes. is um, the, the Tudor meet-cute that is different to most rom-coms in that people don't get beheaded in rom-coms anymore. Um, in... <laughs> That'd be a different Love Actually storyline, wouldn't it? <laughs> Death, actually. Death. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, four beheadings and a funeral. Very good. Thank Very you. Good. I think The Simpsons might have done that already. Oh, The Simpsons have done everything. I know. It's very <laughs> difficult. Um but young Percy had been sent to the household of Cardinal Wolsey to grow up and learn how to run a household. And Wolsey had lots of private business that he had to conduct with the king. And so they'd go off into a room and discuss matters of state. And young teenage Percy was left in the palace. And he found his way to the queen's quarters. And he met one of her maids, her ladies-in-waiting, a young Anne Boleyn. And they seemed to get on really, really well. And he went back to Wolsey and said, I've met this wonderful girl, we're going to get married. And Wolsey kicked off because this is the heir to the earldom of Northumberland going and making his own matches, doing it for love with someone whose status is far below him and a Percy could not marry a Boleyn. And this is outrageous and I'm telling your dad. So he (laughs) told his dad and his dad came along and called him all kinds of horrible Tudor names and threatened to disinherit him completely if he went along with this and he what a waster he was and his brothers were better and he's glad he's got other sons because he doesn't have to put up with this one and he's never going to marry this girl oh but, but tell us what you really think dad <laughs> don't yeah. don't sugarcoat it but the the upshot of this was percy was swiftly married off to a much more noble family a lady called mary talbot became his wife and they lived unhappily ever after Anne Boleyn was sent off to France, well out of the way of all of this, came back a few years later, caught the eye of the king. People generally know what happened after that. She becomes his second wife. But surely him, when he's going, hang on a second, you told me that she wasn't good enough for me and now she's marrying the king. I know. It's not but when you're the, Yeah, the odd thing is when you're the king, anyone can be good enough for you if you say so because you're the king. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Um, they then had to both deny that anything had ever happened. There was no connection. There was no engagement. There was no arrangement to be married. They knew of each other, but that was it. Percy was kept in the north, the north, north, Northumberland, and she was down in the south. So that was going to be fine. Um, Henry VIII did not like Percy, 
And when Cardinal Wolsey fell out of his favor, he picked the boy who'd grown up in his household, who'd been friends with him to go and arrest him. And that was effectively a death sentence. So Percy was going to his mentor and saying, you're not going to get out of this alive and I'm the one who's got to do it to you. So he's giving him in kinds of punishments. Mary Talbot is unhappy. They have blazing rows. And at one point he apparently goes, none of this matters because I was engaged to Anne Boleyn this whole time anyway. Problem is she's now the queen. And you can't just go around saying that you were engaged to the queen. So the two of them then have to swear in front of the king that he was making that up to get back at his wife and they were never married and it was fine. Sure. I mean, does he not get sort of punished for making stuff up then? Well, he kind of does, yeah. They, very quickly afterwards, Thomas Cromwell's finding any excuse to take land away from the Percys and kind of using that same thriftless insult to go, you can't manage your land, you're not as good as your dad, we're going to take that for the crown, that's going to be for the crown, we'll have that, we might just chuck your brother in prison for a bit, and we'll take that as well. A royal taxman was sent up to Annick Castle to keep an eye on him. The taxman's name was William Worm. <laughs> Very nice, nice, yeah. nice name. Ended up a prisoner in the castle. The taxman did? The taxman did, because uh, oh. um, the Earl spotted that he'd been deliberately making him look bad at his finances to please the king. So locked him up in the tower until he could make up the accounts to his own lord's satisfaction. And if you believe the ghost stories, he's still in there counting the coins today. Is that, is that true? Well, no, awesome. not really. But there are records of him going in the tower as a prisoner. There aren't really any records of him being released. Are there... People who have visited the castle say that they can still hear coins being jingled. It's been told, mostly around Halloween, after dark, when we're doing spooky tours, but it has been told. Um, but anyway, so, so the Earl is kind of being punished, but very quickly, it's quite convenient that Anne, who Henry now wants out of the way, has had a previous engagement, because he can use that as evidence against her to say, you married me, having previously been engaged to someone else. That ain't right. That's one of those charges. So now they have to say that they were engaged, despite the fact that they both said that nothing had ever happened. Can't catch a break, these two. Nope. And just to add a little bit of salt to the wound, the, at the trial of Anne Boleyn, the, the peers who were testifying and delivering the verdict all have to do that publicly. So the king knows exactly who's saying what. And he picks Percy to be one of those people to testify. And if you don't say that Anne Boleyn is guilty of all her crimes, you're going to get beheaded along with her. Oh, God, that's really sad. Yeah, it's really cruel. Um, so upset was Percy that he fainted and had to be carried out of the courtroom before the verdicts were delivered. So he never actually said the word guilty because he couldn't bring himself to do it. Oh, bless him. I feel sorry for yeah. this guy. I know. Um, feel more sorry for Anne, though, because the king then cut her head off and killed that is, him. That, that, that is worse. That, that's that's that, worse. That is definitely worse. Yep. Um, but now the Earl has... Anne, Anne has died, apparently having been guilty of having a previous thing with him. He's now got to deny it again to say that she was making it up to save her own life. Uh even if these conversations never happened, he's still being put through the ringer. And he dies not very, 
Mm. He dies maybe a year later, apparently, of a broken heart. Yeah, I think my heart would be pretty uh, pretty broken by yeah. that point. Is that all right for your comedic podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An old bag of lols. Don't worry, kids. There's some sweet, sweet justice in this story. Or as Daniel calls it... The cosmic revenge. Nice. So yeah, Henry VIII lives another 10 interesting years. And by the time he dies, he is a a distance away from Westminster Abbey. His body has to be transported. It is a big body in a bigger coffin. He's a big fella by this point, isn't he? Yeah, big fella. He was. Extremely heavy. It needs to rest in a few places. And one of those places was Sion House. This had been an abbey that had been dissolved by Henry 10 years earlier. It was soon to be the London home of the Percy family. They didn't own it at that point, but it's got such a strong connection that we're going to claim this story as our own anyway. Yep, do it, do it. The, the coffin was laid to rest for the night in the house. And apparently this is the point where the gases start to build up and bits start to burst and things start to ooze. And coffins tend to be lead lined to try and keep this in. William the Conqueror had had a similar problem at his funeral. I mean, he didn't have the problem, he was dead, but the people attending the funeral had the problem of the stench as his body burst. The juices of Henry VIII did flow out of the coffin, and apparently the dogs of Sion were found the following morning licking it up. Um, so <laughs> having, having a great time, I imagine. The oh, dogs they, were. They, yeah, they were having a fantastic breakfast, very hearty, um, <laughs> literally. Um, so not the most dignified end for Henry VIII's remains, but we'll claim that as the sixth earl maybe just getting his own back a little in a karmic kind of sense for all the misery that Henry caused him. I like that for him. Good, good, good for him. He deserves it. I want to talk a bit more about the various TV and films that have been filmed at Annick Castle because you've had Harry Potter, uh, Downton yeah. Abbey, Dungeons yep. and Dragons. Yes, the uh, most recent film, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, filmed here in 2021, came out this year and we made the cut, which is very exciting, part of Neverwinter. But we had uh, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, and Justice Smith um, from the main cast uh, here in their medieval garbs as the Bard, the Barbarian, and the Paladin, respectively. Yes, nice. As a, as a, as a D&D player, um, having a Bard as the lead character is a nice touch, actually. Yes. I like that. You don't often yeah. get Bards as the lead role. What, um, what's it like having celebrities walking around the castle? I mean, literally, the practicalities of filming. You must have had all sorts of people showing up at the doors and trying to see them it's tricky you try and keep things quiet as much as possible but you've been to Anik. it's a small town northumberland is you know it's a big county in terms of space but not in terms of stuff that goes on and people find out so we will tend to close to the public when filming's happening what's nice about the the hollywood a-listers kind of coming here is Quite often with these big budget films, especially something like um, a Dungeons and Dragons or a Transformers is, there's a lot of green screen work. There's a lot of studio work. So coming somewhere like Anik, it's a little bit different. So they're just enjoying being on locations somewhere they haven't been before. Anthony Hopkins, for example, is a painter as well as an actor. We've talked about the art collection at the castle. He took the chance while he was here. Between every take, he would just go around and look at the paintings. Yeah, nice. Um, Or Chris Pine, because he's played Robert the Bruce and is really into his history and his Shakespeare, loved the fact that he was in a medieval castle that had fought against Robert the Bruce and had connections to Shakespeare. So 
I think I can say this now that the film is out, but I took him on a tour around the castle. And it was one of the most fun, positive energy tour experiences I've had in 15 years. He loved all of it. And it blew his mind that he was in the castle where Harry Hotspur from Shakespeare's Henry IV had grown up. Um, So he was genuinely excited. He saw a charter signed by Robert the Bruce, or at least that had his seal. And there was a direct connection to a character he'd played. Well, yeah, because I guess these these actors who get into these roles, they've got to research it pretty deeply. They're going to get quite a strong connection with these people. Uh And he still had that years later. So it's not a juicy story, but it's really nice to kind of see that see actors like this you know not full method you know they're not staying in character all the time they're taking the chance to enjoy where they are and enjoy where they're filming can you imagine if daniel day lewis turned up oh god he's still in bloody character again depends who he was playing yeah that's true he's playing that bloody evil earl oh no he's just in there (laughs) yeah ruined um, everyone's day again yeah i think what i think it was robert pattinson who said that no one ever went method to play somebody nice. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, if Daniel Lewis came playing the world's loveliest man, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what a good time you'd have. Yeah, a great time. Yeah. So yeah, there are, there are other films that have been made sort of that I haven't been here for. We had a Dracula come to film with us in the 1970s, but even The Count of Transylvania was not the first time we had a vampire at Annick Castle because back in the medieval period, we had a real one. Hang on a minute, Daniel. Who's doing the segues here, you or me? This is my podcast. I'll take it from here. Thank you very much. <clears throat> they had Dracula come to film with them in the 1970s, but even The Count of Transylvania wasn't the first time they'd had a vampire at Annick Castle because back in the medieval period, they had a real one. Oh, I see what you did there. Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm, I, I didn't even have that as a note. I thought that was in <laughs> my head. I'm pretty happy with that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> even better. Uh, you can count on me. Hey. Oh, it's all right. I'll shut up. Right. Anyway, the vampire, the vampire. Let's talk about the vampire. So we go all the way back to the 12th century for the vampire of Anik. And this is a story written in a chronicle by a guy called William of Newborough, who kind of travelled around the medieval country, gathering up strange stories like this. And he came across the story of a man who served the Lord of Anak, who thought his wife was having an affair, and was furious and determined to catch her in the act, and climbed up to the rafters of their dwelling to spot when the other man would come in. And at one point, he was so full of fury that he slipped from the rafters, fell onto the stones below, and died. So this bloke is literally just crouched on top of some beams up in the the roof, and then looking down, waiting. It seems that way. (laughs) I couldn't tell you what the game plan was. But we never found out because he died. I imagine a, a, a sort of sh- a, a elbow drop onto the head of the bloke who comes in with him, I imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he could do a 450 splash or something, that would have been more impressive. So he's died. He's died angry. He's died full of fury. His blood has boiled, not literally at this point. And he hasn't crucially been given any of the sacraments. And he's buried without having received the last rites before he died. So we... T- terrible news. 
Terrible news because this is an unholy death, which means he is now able to rise from his grave and start stalking around the town, an air of putrescence following behind him, mysterious dogs going crazy, foaming at the mouth. People start getting ill from this pestilence. People start dying. Animals start getting ill. And there's a dead man walking around town. So everyone in the town, everyone in the town is losing their their marbles over. The, yeah, the curse. or they or An- they Anik- fled. Anik is cursed. Did they flee? It Did they is. all leave? Yeah, a lot of people tried to just get away from it if they could. They thought that if they could get away from him, they would get away from dying. Apart from two sons of a man who had been lost to this creature, who one Palm Sunday, a holy day, go to dig up his grave. And they find it engorged with blood. And this is where William of Newborough, in his chronicle, writes a word in medieval Latin which translates as bloodsucker. But his body is full of blood. More so blood how, than he should have. So how's, how has it retained all the blood? It must be walking around sucking other people's. Yeah. So he's I a vampire. The, the two sons dispose of the body. They cut him into pieces. They burn him. They burn the heart. He stops rising from the grave. The illnesses stop. The people return. Everything's all right again. But it would appear that this was a legitimate vampire. D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I've got several questions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
as you know, as you do. Firstly, yep. um, are vampires a known thing in mythology at this point? How, I don't know how um, long vampires go back for. Ah, uh, well, Vl- Vl- Vlad the Impaler is the first yeah. one, isn't it? This is this is sad, possibly proud of me to admit, but I did write my dissertation on vampires. Um, nothing, nothing said about yeah, that, mate. Yeah. Nothing said about that. So the vampire. I, is... I, I did mine on the history of masturbation. So, so oh wow, that's, yeah. That's... So don't worry. Yeah, and and I spelt it wrong in the title. Oh, no. <laughs> the history of mas- <laughs> history of masturbation. That's my dyslexia getting yes. in the way. Oh, I hope <laughs> there was a chapter on that one Seinfeld episode. Yeah, I got sixty nine percent as well. Oh so, well, <laughs> you you had to really. What am I talking about? Let's get, keep on track. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. So vampires, as we understand them, like our modern idea of a vampire is this cape wearing, aristocratic, preying on the innocent. That's only about 200 years old. That's basically Lord Byron. But the tradition of an unholy creature that rises from the grave and feasts on the living goes back much, much, much longer. They weren't always known as vampires. Um, Revenants tends to be a word that's used a lot. And the tradition of vampire in folklore you can see the roots of zombies in the same way. They, they act very similarly. Um, they don't always suck blood, but they are unholy, so religion repels them. They tend to turn up at night because that's scarier. Um, they are dead creatures. They eat living creatures, that sort of thing. And then other things that we associate with vampires all come along bit by bit. And what we know as a vampire is like, <laughs> yeah, Sorry, bite no, by no, bite. Bite yeah. by bite. bite, bite. Uh, bite no by pun bite. intended, but beautiful stuff. Thank you. Um, but yeah, the modern vampire is a composite of all these different traditions all in one. So back at that point, we wouldn't have called him a vampire. It would have been a, like a, an abomination of some kind. It might have been called a revenant. It wouldn't have been called undead, but it would have been called dead. But that use of the term bloodsucker is quite crucial in making him a little bit different to other kinds of weird supernatural occurrences. It makes him stand out, which is why we know him now to be a vampire. It's always going to be a pretty horrible job to dig up a grave and open up a coffin and fingers crossed, God, what are we finding on the other side of this? If I mean, if we were two grave diggers and we're yes. walking to the site... Yep. knowing that the destiny of the whole village is in our hands. I mean, sticking our shovels in, all the, all, the, all the dirt's coming up. And then it's like, okay, this is the moment of truth. You're opening the coffin lid, fully expecting I would be a bloke to jump out at us. And I can paint you a little bit more of the, a picture of, of how these two apparently went about it. Yes, please. One of them was named Thomas. The, br- the, the, br- one, the brave one. The brave one. The other one was <laughs> Eustace. And they went to the churchyard on Palm Sunday. They opened up the grave and they found the carcass covered with only a very thin layer of earth. So he wasn't buried all the way. He'd clearly been getting up. Oh, I like the idea that the, the vampire's got up. He's run ravaged around the town, gone back. He's not, and they're just, coming all the way back under. I, I know, and then he's lied down and just he's just grabbed some soil and just semi-buried himself. <laughs> <laughs> gone back to sleep. Just with his arms crossed and then just... Bit, bit of soil yeah. over there, a couple of leaves on my top. That, fine. That'll do. That'll be fine. No one's gonna, yeah. no gonna find me here. Yeah. But the shroud that was between <laughs> him and the, the earth was torn to shreds. So we. The, sh- the shroud. So there was a. Shroud. Yeah. Like a so there cloth. was. Yeah. A cloth between him and the outside world, but he'd clearly ripped that to pieces. The body itself was uh, 
red from the consumption of blood. It was engorged, as we've said. So Thomas and Eustace dragged the corpse away from the holy ground. Oh, they touched him. Gee, brave they did. guys. Brave guys. They built a pyre and they tore the black heart from the vampire's chest and burned it. They burned the heart first and then got rid of the rest of him. What book have they looked up? You know, How, how to Slay Your Vampire. Uh, <laughs> book number one, Heart First. Heart first. I suppose heart, blood, you've got... Yeah, that makes sense. There's a a logic. I'd be sticking a stake through it. Yeah. I think stakes were a little bit of a later invention. I think it was an early modern thing in the 15 and 1600s. There's a a great book. It's almost like a historical true crime book by Blessing Adams called Great and Horrible News, where it talks about people who had committed a certain kind of crime would be buried with a stake through them so that people who visited the churchyard would know who the criminals were. Really? So that was, um, yeah, that, that was, I'm sorry, that was that the original use of a stake? Um, I mean, identify. in this country, that was the common use of, that's why you would have a stake through a corpse. Is there still uh, remnants of the vampire and sort of, or any sort of references to him around the castle, around the town? Um, not quite so much. There's always interest in him in October. Uh, Halloween, yeah. Yeah, as we get up to Halloween, people start telling that story a bit more. Um, you know, you might see a little article about haunted castles in the Northeast and some of our great castles like Bamborough, like Chillingham, like Dunstanborough will show up with their stories and the vampire of Annick will turn up amongst those as well. And of course, we use that as an excuse to tell the story to try and frighten people as we get close to Halloween as well. Have any movies been made about the vampire of Anik? Sadly not. Uh, Tony Robinson made a documentary about him about 15 years ago called Gods and Monsters. And it was about the real folklore of supernatural creatures in Britain. Um, So he came and he did a bit of research and he looked at the Chronicle and he tried to figure out the real history behind it all. But sadly, he has not been twilighted onto the silver screen at this point. But the option's open. The Twilight vampires take it to another level, don't they? They do. I don't believe the vampire of Anik ever sparkled. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Oh, they're all sparkly and gorgeous. It's like, that's not what a vampire is. Come on. They're either, like, pale, sucking your blood, or they are purple and, and <laughs> counting Very up. good at maths, yes. Very good, at, very good at maths. That's the only two I will accept. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes 
I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mate, thank you so much for this podcast. You've been absolutely exceptional. Really enjoyed it. But what I want to know now, quick fire question round for the okay, end. Okay, I'm ready. If you could meet anyone from Annex history, who would that be? I've got a historical one and I've got a celebrity one. The, the celebrity I'd pick and might stretch your definition of celebrity, but probably the author John Steinbeck, who came here searching for a lost Arthurian manuscript in 1965 and found it. Where did he find it? In the Castle Library. Under M for manuscripts. <laughs> A for Arthur. Oh, here, oh, here yeah. it is. A for Arthur, yeah. A for Arthur. Um, <laughs> yeah, he'd, um, it was within a bunch of other medieval manuscripts. He and, his, and a professor from Manchester University discovered a third medieval manuscript of the legends of King Arthur. Before that, only two had ever been discovered. And the third one was right here. So it made international news back in the mid-60s. So that would be my celebrity pick. But for a historical pick, I would go with Elizabeth Percy, the first Duchess of Northumberland. She was around in the Georgian era. She's someone we know quite a lot about because she wrote loads of diaries. She wrote two books full of riddles that she would write in letters to her mum. Amazing. And I could actually, I know this is the quick fire round, but would you like to try one of the first Duchess of Northumberland's 300-year-old riddles? Yes, please. Yes. She called them conundrums. Of course. Um, Perfect. Okay, let's, let's, hear, let's hear the riddle. Let's, let's get a conundrum. Um, get ready, listeners. Okay. There's three of us in the, in the office here. Okay. Will and Bex and myself, and we're going to see if we can get the riddle. You ready, guys? You ready, team? Why is the office of Prime Minister like a maypole? Because the initials are MP. Oh, MP initials? No. No. That was very no. well. That was very quick, though, Bex. So why is the office of the Prime Minister like a maypole? Um, we're drawing a blank here. Yeah, go on. Why, why is the office of Prime Minister like a maypole? Because it is a high post. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Hey, hey not oh. bad. Can we have another one? Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. I like, this. I like this. I mean, she had literally hundreds. Why is a lady on her wedding day like a man in error? Uh... Why is a lady on her wedding day like a man in error? Um, based on the last one, it's going to be more simple, isn't it? Than I'm trying to be too complicated in my brain. So a man in error, what is he? I'm going to guess by her personality, the man is not going to come out well in this answer. It's going to be something about the man refusing to admit the truth that he shouldn't have done it. <laughs> or something like that is, is, is where I'm going. Would you like Daniel? to know? Yes, I would. Why is a lady on her wedding day like a man in error? Because she is mistaken. Oh my God, that's very good. Oh, damn it. 
damn it. Right, give, give us one, one um, more. One more, because I know, like, high post, mistaken. It's, okay. Okay, I, I've, got, I've got the vibe of it now. I've got the vibe so, of it now. Um, I'll preface this one by saying that in the Georgian period, pigs did not say oink. P- pigs kind of went eek or ick. Um, so, which English town is a former queen and the cry of a pig? Uh, uh, Anik! Anik, that is correct. Anik, you, have, yes. you have solved the 300-year-old conundrum. Woo! Ah, oh, yes. Thanks for listening to Bad Manners. If you like the pod, please share it with your friends. Rate it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and make sure you spill the tea on any of your favourite Bad Manners that we could feature in future episodes. This podcast was produced by Atomize Studios for iHeartRadio. It was hosted by me, Tom Horton. It was produced by Willa Malensky, Rebecca Rappaport, and Chris Attaway. It was executive produced by Faye Stewart and Zad Rogers. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore, and our production coordinator is Bella Cellini. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.